So, how do you want to set up the show? Uh, I think so. Like, uh, it would be Alexander's ragtime band. Like, did 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 and then I would come in after the seagulls. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show about Titanic. This is your host, Edward. And today we're interviewing Veronica Hinky, who's the author of The Last Night on the Titanic, Unsinkable Drinking and Dining in Style by Veronica Hinky. Obviously, this episode is going to be brilliant. So I do hope that you stick around for the end of the episode. Hello, Veronica, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I was really looking forward to talking with you. Me too. So let's start with the first question. Question one. Uh, can you tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd love to. I grew up in central Wisconsin, and I became a freelance journalist. I went to school for journalism at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and I studied about interviewing techniques and learning about people, and I started to pitch story ideas to magazines and newspapers when I was an adult. And uh, one of my favorite stories was a story about some of the bottles that they found at the Titanic wreck site at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And they found big cases of uh, champagne bottles and some of the bottles were even somewhat intact and you could see the lettering on them. And I thought, well, how interesting this would be for a story for the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. And so in 2011, I began pitching the story idea to various news outlets, and I pitched it to wine enthusiasts, and they really liked the idea. And so we ended up with a 250 or so word story, and it became very popular on the internet. People were reading it and commenting, and they really enjoyed learning about what life might have been like aboard the Titanic. This was right before Prohibition. And a whole culture really got lost with Prohibition. And before that, there was a vibrant culture in the Edwardian years of really interesting cocktails and champagnes and wines, and of course, all the opulence that was aboard the Titanic. So I wanted to really highlight that sort of lost culture and the article became a book. Okay, question two. What is your book about? I mean, I think you may have covered that question, but do you mind telling us a few of your favorite stories from your book? Well, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. The book covers not only the foods that were aboard the Titanic, but the people. We talk about the chefs. And um, this man, Charles Jockin, he had worked on ships since he was a little boy. And he went on the Titanic. He was one of the fortunate crew members that was able to get a job on the Titanic. He was a pastry chef. He normally made 
fabulous, beautiful pastries, French pastries of what he was trained to do. But for the Titanic, people were just so happy to be aboard as crew on this magnificent ship that they had heard so much about for so long. Everyone anticipated the Titanic coming for years and years. And he took a job as the baker, the head baker. And he looked to see what his lifeboat assignment would be if there was a disaster a few days before the Titanic sank. In fact, it was on the Thursday that he boarded. He checked his assignment and made a note of it. He knew which lifeboat he would be manning. And those crew members that were able to man a lifeboat were so blessed because that was a way for them to get out. But when it came time for him to board the lifeboat that he was assigned to after he had helped board many other lifeboats, someone else was given the command to board that boat and man it. And that is when Charles Jockin went back down to his quarters, as he said, to have a nip. And he came back up. He was, as you know, is depicted now in popular culture, he was drinking that night, he explained. And he came back upstairs to the boat deck and began throwing in deck chairs. Chuck deck chairs into the water, drink my schnapps to survive. Jack, chuck the deck chairs into the water, drink my schnapps to survive. Wow, that's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it was a really amazing story to research. He was able to finally hold on to one of his co-workers' hands. Actually, I think it was someone who reported to him. I think it, he was a supervisor of this person. And it just goes to show you, it's always good to keep your relationships with your co-workers good. Because and always have you, a bottle of schnapps with you in case you end up in the freezing Atlantic. <laughs> I, I don't really think that it's true that the schnapps helped him with his body temperature, but it's just an amazing story to hear about someone with such resilience and in the face of almost certain death, he refused to accept that fate. And we talk in the book about John Jacob Astor the fourth. Oh yeah. That person. Yes. And he was huge in social circles and trendsetting. Social media. Yes. In the social media of the day. Exactly. Uh, John Jacob Astor IV was hugely influential in, in many of the things that we enjoy today. He developed the process of using red velvet ropes to help manage crowds for big events. Now we have the red carpet at everything from the Academy Awards to premier events and so forth. And that all came from John Jacob Astor IV. At any time, at any place in the world where there's a St. Regis Hotel, you can go into the lobby at 6 p.m. every day and they will saber a bottle of champagne to this day in honor of John Jacob Astor IV because that's what he liked to do at parties. He would take a sword and lob off the top of a champagne bottle with a sword to make it a little more dramatic and then just popping a cork. And everyone in the lobby gets a little glass, a little taste of the champagne. And it's just a really special tribute to a man, I believe, you know, does not get his just due today for all the different precedents that he set. Um, he established the first 
hotel accessibility to a subway station where there's actually a, there's still a door. It's bricked up in a subway station in New York City that leads to one of his hotels. I believe it's the Knickerbocker Hotel. And he started doing things like that, that were nowadays, it's commonplace to us to think of establishing a business right by a subway and having a linking entryway. But John Jacob Astor was really one of the very first people to think of that. So while a lot of people know him for being one of the richest men aboard the Titanic, one of the richest people aboard, there's so much more to that man that he does not get the credit for like he should in this day and age, things that we take for granted. That is so true. So Veronica, how did you go about doing your research for your book? Oh, I had so much fun researching the book and I love to search old newspaper clippings and I always learn something new in 10 minutes of searching through newspapers.com I'll learn something new that is so interesting. It makes me want to write another book. So I love newspapers.com and I love to interview people and find people. And I located a bunch of people through Facebook, Instagram, through messaging them and just asking them, you know, are you the same person who wrote on this blog post? If so, do you know anything about your uncle? Who's on the Titanic? Yes. Yeah. And so I was able to connect with many of those people. And then uh, one of the friends that I have now that I keep in touch with every day on Facebook and Instagram is Sonia Geyer. She's also a, a food writer and a blogger. And I found Sonia. She's in South Africa. And I was looking for her because I was looking for a recipe for tripe. Have you ever had tripe? Is it a cake? I think it's a cake. It is a stomach of a cow. That does not sound pleasant. Well, that's what was on the menu in third class. That's what the third class passengers oh ate. Oh my God, I cannot eat that. I would not be able to stomach that. <laughs> you never know. You might want to try it. Like, if you gave me a million euro for that, I'm not going to eat it. No, I'm not going <laughs> to eat a cow's stomach. Thank you. But I would happily eat steak. <laughs> So what was food like in third class compared with first class on the Titanic? Well, for one thing, food was more readily available. Yes. Um, The hearty meal in uh, third class was earlier in the day and then in the evening snacks. But in first class, 11 course meals were the norm. They ate for hours uh, and there were wonderful things to sample. One of the interesting things about the dinner was that there was usually a palate cleanser, like the punch romaine, which had a lot of lemon in it to cleanse your palate. And that recipe is in my book. Um, There are several different types of meats and beautiful desserts like chocolate eclairs. Um, I was interested to see that there were seasonal items like there are today Um, like English spring peas, asparagus. Those were all the things that were popular at the time as well as today. And they were seasonal at the time. So they had a lot of those types of ingredients on the table. And the difference was very distinct. 
in third class, like I mentioned, they ate tripe. They would eat um, corned beef. I didn't see corned beef. I didn't come across that at all, but um, which I think it'd be probably more elaborate than some of the things that were on their menus. I just thought of the word I was trying to think of, gruel. They ate gruel in third class, which is sort of like a watered down oatmeal. It uh, was a very basic meal that they had quite a bit. Yeah, there was quite a difference between the two. And then in second class, they would have not quite as elaborate as first class, but nothing like what they had in steerage. Okay, why does gruel sound like prison food? Why does that sound like Alcatraz prison food? Yeah, you definitely can see from the menus that they were economizing with their ingredients for the third class, for sure. Okay, so do you mind uh, touching off second class since we didn't really talk about second class? Yeah, a lot of the things in second class were not as elaborate as first, but they were a little bit better than in steerage, probably, you know, in a lot of cases. You know, they would have had a basic meal, Nothing like the incredible 11 courses in first class. Which I would not be able to stomach 11 courses. I think I would have to go and eat the ice cream course. Uh, I think there's a pasta course, I think. Yeah, oysters they had in first class. So I did a study on oysters in the book and learned about things you can do. You know, like you can garnish your oysters with cocktail sauce. I provided a few options for those. There's a recipe for oysters a la russe. And nothing like that was available in second or third class. Okay, Veronica. So before we finish the show, uh, I would like to ask, where would people be able to get the book? Like uh, if they're searching on Amazon or, I don't know, Book Depository, I'm guessing? Where would they be able to get it? The book is on Amazon. And if you're not able to purchase it for some reason, you can contact me through my website, which is veronicahinky.com. Okay, so again, thank you, Veronica, for being on the show today. Well, thank you for talking with me today. I love the story about the Titanic because I love all the inspiring stories that came out of that terrible disaster as Horrific as it was, we can be inspired by the people who experienced it. And I really want to thank you for having this podcast and for sharing stories with people that can make their world a little brighter and a little more hopeful. There you have it, folks. The show about Titanic is complete for one episode. But before we finish it, I'd like to give a thanks to Nate and his dad for editing the show so far as for it's been so hard to juggle school for Nate and also editing the show, too. Yes, we'll be back for an epi- next episode. Wow, that's hard to say. Next episode of the show about Titanic. Okay, so Nate, if you want to, stop the recording. <laughs>